Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Cart Overflow. I'm your host, Gan Furukawa, and today we have a really cool episode. This is the first episode where we've actually really spoken with somebody who is in this role, Deb Mecca, who is the Director of Marketing of LTV SaaS Fund, which is a... Well, Deb, how are you today? Hi, <laughs> thanks for having me on your podcast. And thanks so much great. for being here. I'm great. Thanks for having me. And I think you were saying that we have a collection of Shopify apps. Is that? Yeah. Yeah. So I I, I just didn't want to misspeak and, and misrepresent anything. So I thought maybe it might be best if you could introduce yourself and, and what you do as the director of marketing and, and what you oversee. Sure. Yeah. So I do marketing for 10 Shopify apps in the ecosystem. So we're solely on Shopify, not any other platforms. And yeah, that, that pretty much covers it. Okay. So yeah, we, we were chatting a little while ago that we are akin in terms of the role that we're, we're operating in marketing for Shopify apps, but you're 10 X the workload that I have, uh, <laughs> and I can't fathom what that looks like. So my, my first question is really, and, and I think hopefully applicable to all marketers or all people that work in the digital space of productivity prioritization workload. How do you actually go through your day to manage 10 apps? The growth of 10 apps is is hard to understand when I'm just looking at one and that to me is overwhelming and there's so much to do. But when you're doing it 10x that, what does your day look like and how do you actually get through it all? Lots of coffee. <laughs> sure. No, all joking aside. You know, I was on the agency side before this and I worked with multiple clients that were individually. So it was more of a disparate arrangement. That was a lot harder to manage than being in a collective like this because there's a lot of shared resources. So I think it's kind of similar to like, what is it like having one kid versus having 10 kids? And you sort of economy scale it, right? You figure out a way to serve 10 meals in, in one. And so that's a lot of what, what we do here is we, each app is its own individual product and it exists on it in its own playing field, but ever, but however, we do figure out ways to modernize the process across all of them so that we could scale our efforts. So for instance, we just deployed 10 newsletters to our customers yesterday and, and it was a lot, it was a lot of work. I have obviously a team that helps me. There's three people on my team right now and I'm about to be four. And so there's a lot of effort that goes into it, but we do a lot of things that are shared. So the format of the email is very, very similar across the board where we're, you know, highlighting something that's going to help the app. We do like kind of like a, a cross promotion with a partner, and then we give them some kind of help along the way. So it's pretty like in one and two and three and four, and we're able to share those resources across all 10. So when you look at them, it's, it is like feeding a family of 10 where you're just making a big pot of something and then, you know, dividing it up into 10 dishes. Yeah. Now, newsletters are one channel, whether it's an acquisition channel or a retention relationship building channel. Uh, I'd be curious to know how how they differ. If across the board of the 10 apps, do you kind of like have a unique marketing strategy and more specifically acquisition channels? Or are you, are you kind of like saying, all right, this works for one and then let's just kind of multiply and scale that? Right now, we're just sending newsletters out to our current customers. We are working towards getting an acquisition prospecting email flow going in, in the next couple of months. But for right now, it's just 
educating our customers. So the rule of thumb always is if it's not going to add value to our customers, then we're not going to add it in. Or if it's not just a cool thing that we want to share that we think they would like, then we're not going to add it in. So that's kind of how we look at it, how we communicate with our customers through the newsletters and looking at the open rates and looking at the engagement in, in the newsletters. Some months are better than others. Obviously this past month, I would say the early reads on it are are pretty promising, really good. So we, the quality of the content that we just put out yesterday was pretty, pretty spot on. So nice part of what we did. Nice. And then how about acquisition of new customers? what what channels are you testing? What's working? What's not? We're mainly in, so we do like a lot of organic content marketing. We do partnership things in app and with other apps. I am on podcasts. So obviously that helps sometimes. And, and then we do the Shopify ads. So again, we are looking to, to change that in the next couple of months. So we're working towards some other acquisition channels that we're, we're going to be launching. Yeah. I, uh, I'm, actively using Shopify app, Shopify store ads. And I don't know why I am, but it's almost like, well, it's, it's like, like the most bottom of funnel. Who knows if it's necessarily like the best type of customer in terms of the installs that we see a lot of, a lot of churn. And I think kicking the tires and probably a lot of the people in our space have free trials or even free plans. So, you know, the people will be clicking on an, an ad and Shopify's recommended ad cost per click or bid is for some of the keywords like 10 to $25 per click. Uh, So extrapolate that out in terms of, you know, you might convert one out of 10 is 10%, maybe 20%. That's a very expensive install. And we're not even getting to getting to the end of the free trial and then turning into a revenue generating customer. So the unit economics of app ads are a, a tough nut to crack and I have yet to do so, but still trying. <laughs> well, I mean, the way that they do their attribution is a tricky one. So it's like, I don't know that we can do, and this is something that I'm struggling with as we're looking to open up additional channels, because if you advertise on Google or you advertise on Facebook, they want to, you know, make you spend more money and, and they want to, and so like you get that click, you get that sale and there's attribution attribution associated with that. If you acquire a customer through the Shopify ads, if they install your app through the ads, it's a rolling 30-day period. And so if they uninstall your app in that 30-day period, then it's actually not counted. So the numbers look garbage. As far as acquisition, a lot of times in your, your attribution, if your Shopify ad attribution, it sometimes... I mean, sometimes they look good. Sometimes they don't look that great. Depends on churn and whatnot with that specific app. But it's a tricky one because it's like, well, they did install it, but they uninstalled it. And so then it's not counting that as, you know, an opportunity that came from that ad. Yeah. And, and that's one thing that I always do is a little bit as a sanity check is if you change your date range from, say, last seven days to last 30 to last 365 all of a sudden, like, you know, whether how true it is, you know, I'm, I'm not sure because it is hard because you cannot track an install or return on ad spend to a specific store. So you, you, there's that gap, um, but it will always improve over time. But frankly, we're still under a hundred percent return on ROAS or return on ad spend ROAS. So we're, we're not running it profitably, but changing the time frame does help it help me justify the decision to, to spend that money. What I do and this, you know, probably I'm probably embarrassing myself by admitting this on a podcast is I look at the numbers. So like, am I seeing 
Am I seeing things go up or am I seeing things go down? Because I think that a lot of times there's a collection of what happens across the board. Some things that you can attribute it to, some things that are a little bit less easy to sort of figure out, but you're like, wait, how else would that have happened? And you dig into Google Analytics, you're like, oh, I was on some random list. Or I sometimes I'll dig into like YouTube and see if somebody like, reviewed one of our apps because I'm like, where is this, you know, like how all of a sudden, but I think there's a collection of things that happens across the board. And so my opinion is getting rid of the ads is completely irresponsible. Like people like to talk about how crappy they are. And I, I would argue in a way they're, they're probably a lot more profitable than we know, but because of the attribution model and the way that they present it, it makes it really difficult, but that's like on anywhere. Like if you Mm. were to try to do attribution on Google, it's, it's a tricky game unless you have somebody really skilled at making sure that they're crossing those T's and dotting those I's. So it's a little tip. You know, I I, I think it's good. I would not want to stop doing it. Yeah, so. I, I agree. It's almost akin to bidding on your brand term in, in Google search. Like why give it up to somebody else who's going to be bidding on it and then therefore stealing clicks, like almost protecting the territory preemptively. Yeah. And to your point before, and I don't mean to like talk, you know, crap about Shopify merchants because they're amazing. But I think in general, the reason why we see some lower quality and some higher quality is because that's the pool that Shopify lives in. You're going to see a wide range of stores and that will happen no matter what app you are, no matter how good your marketing is, no matter what you're doing, no matter how tightened up your customer services, you're going to see a large range of stores from like recognizable brands that you're like super stoked about to like oh my gosh, they set that live. Are you joking? Like, what were they thinking? You know? So I think there's a nice mix of everything. I always like to think that the middle is where you make the money. And so spending your time on the ones that are sort of like the, the middle range is, is where to, to, to be excited about. I did, there have been past times where I've gotten excited about name brands having you know, installed our app or used our app for two years or whatever. And then for whatever happened, they like go to Magento because their needs have changed and, and whatever the sophistication of that allowed them to do. And I actually get upset. Like, I'm like, oh my gosh, where did they go? You know, and it's nothing personal. They had to go to Magento for whatever reason. But I think the guys in the middle, if you look at your, your statistics, the guys that are in the middle, the middle range type of stores, those are the ones that stick around for years, you know, right? that might be like an advanced Shopify advanced plan store. Yeah. That's like an LTV that you want, you know? Right. Have you found that certain channels have yielded better customers and, and better in the term of like high lifetime value? That, I, you know, I'm, I'm trying to figure that out myself. Honestly, we are actually in the process of hiring somebody that's going to help me ascertain those again, you know, 10 apps, one person, there's a lot that I still have not been able to dig into, but I've been trying to figure out ways to hire out my weaknesses and be able to get that information. So that's something that we're, we're focused on right now, or we will be focused on in the near future. Yeah. Uh, in my experience, I found that referrals and partnerships with both tech integrations and agency partners have been most effective. And yeah, I'm not necessarily taking the most sophisticated data-driven approach, but just 
exporting customers by revenue generated. And then, yeah, a lot of those are actually named that it would recognize as referrals or intros that I, I jump on a call with, and then, and then they turn out to be. And I think that that actually correlates to them being the best customers because there is a warm introduction. And then there also is almost that like white glove onboarding experience where I can ensure that they are set up. I can ensure that it is working as it should. And then they're not in, in, encountering any marketing challenges in, in terms of like how to actually use the data so of a quiz platform and then that they get it set up with their Clavio or OmniSend Attentive Postscript or whatever. So that that for us is probably less scalable, but does translate to the best customers that we have. That is true. I would say with Trackify, so we have an app called Trackify that manages multiple Facebook pixels across Facebook, well, not just Facebook pixels, across Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, and TikTok. And we, on our affiliate program, if you look through the data of that, it's like the people that are being referred over from that are our higher value customers because they're getting sold to by somebody else. I think mm -hmm. where that one gets a little bit more tricky is they come in, they don't know how to set up their pixels. They, they aren't seeing things firing. They don't contact support and then maybe they churn or they do contact support and then they get the help that they need. But yeah, the higher, I, I would say the higher quality customers are coming from our affiliate programs. Interesting. Okay. Now for Shopify apps, reviews, are some signal of validation and customer testimonials and also critical in terms of organic ranking in the Shopify app store where some brands are learning about the apps. I think in my experience, maybe some of the higher end brands, the plus brands or advanced might work with an agency. And so that word of mouth counts for something, but reviews certainly count for social proof. Curious to know if, if you can share some of the systems that you might have in place, the automations that you have in place to ensure that you're a generating reviews and that the reviews are from or that you want to leave a review. It's just, we have a very high touch point with our customer service. So they're always getting on calls. They're doing video calls. We basically left no stone, stone unturned in terms of them being able to contact us. So if they go to our website, they can do live chat. If they go to in, in the app, they can get on a live call really quickly, or they can just quickly chat through intercom. Um, we don't, we always are trying to find ways to be able to touch that customer. And a lot of times, even in our newsletters, like we're, we're constantly like, if you want this feature, if you like this thing, if you see this thing, contact our support immediately so that we can talk to you and we can walk you through it because we know that high touch is going to yield a good result. They're going to be happy with the service. They're going to talk about what's happening with their results. And then it's fresh in their mind. And it's very systematic for them to be like, Hey, if you liked your service, you know, mind telling other people about it. And then, you know, those reviews kind of come in through that. So that's been really helpful. And then also with negative reviews. So we actually have a very streamlined system to where every review that comes in, we're getting notified, we're getting notifications through Slack. So we're able to see like, Hey, we just got a one-star review. We got a two-star review or a five-star review, but obviously we want to mitigate the one and twos and those happen and they're going to happen. And you want them to happen as an app. Like you don't want all five and four-star reviews. You want a situation where they're like, I was struggling with X. It didn't work with my theme, which you're going to hear pretty much on every app. And then you go back into the history and you're like, you never even contacted support. Like you never even gave us a chance. And so us being able to kind of quickly get on that and mitigate that is super important. So yeah, we have systems in place for that as well. Nice. And does that actually work to have them change the review? Sometimes. Yeah. Because a lot of the times it's just miscommunication or no communication. Mm. Right. Nice. Like if you look at reviews on other ones, unless it was like this person was 
absolutely horrible, which we never get. We never get anyone that's like, they weren't nice to me or they were horrible. Luckily, our people, our support staff is just amazing. So we would never hear that. But I've seen it on other ones where they're like, they ignored me or they were horrible or whatever. It's like, you can't really fix that. But if it, you know, if it didn't work with my theme or something happened with this, like those things are pretty easy to fix because you just contact them and be like, hey, let's fix this. And they fix it. Yeah. I mean, I I definitely don't share your sentiment that I want a one and two star review. Those are gut punches. And I've had a few I'm like, oh, damn, like, how do I get them to change? And also I've, I've so we've, we've had a few a majority, obviously, are, are, are thankfully are five star reviews, but I've not had the luck of getting anybody to change a one star review. And, and I do follow up. And I, I also like, I love your approach of being as accessible and, and having open callings. And, and I have the same um, set up a Zoom call or, or it's always in the footer of an email. So I, I want to be as accessible as possible and we have the intercom widget. But yeah, sometimes th- it is inevitable and it kind of just goes with the the nature of customer service. Yeah. I mean, if I'm on Amazon and I'm looking to buy something and there's a thousand reviews or more, I want to see a couple bad reviews. I do because I think that it, it legitimizes the brand. Mm-hmm. And if those reviews are like, it didn't work with my theme, but then three other reviews within that stream that I'm looking at say it worked perfectly with my theme or there was an issue with my theme, but the support team helped me overcome it and we fixed it and it's great and it looks fantastic or whatever the case may be Then I'm like, okay, well, this is technology, things happen, you know? And so you're really kind of getting in the, the mind state of like, this is a real business, this is legitimate and, and you can empathize with all of that. So no, I don't want one, let me just be clear. I don't want one in two star reviews, but I think that it just helps to legitimize the brand in a way that's like, okay, well, this isn't all fake. Yeah, no, I I definitely hear that because we're fake reviews are another challenge that App Store we we deal with for better or worse. We actually contacted Shopify a couple times because we had people just leaving weird reviews and we're like, oh my gosh, we don't want to get in trouble for this or whatever. And and they were like, oh yeah, we've seen this in other places too. So, you know, I think if you're proactive with your side of it, where if you see something that doesn't look right on your page, which we have a couple of times, then that's all you could do. Yeah. That, that's very smart. Actually, I didn't think about that. Because you can you can get banned. Stores or or a big app developers have already. So th- th- right now we're in a in a world where I think building a Shopify app is um, is attractive because there's kind of like this flywheel. Shopify provides a lot of the marketing engine for you in terms of their app store. There's a defined need. There's a discrete customer. But then there's also 8,000 apps and and or or something like that, and it's going fast. And then probably more coming to the app ecosystem because Shopify no longer has a 20% cut of the apps under a million dollars in revenue. So it's a very attractive place to be and maybe getting in addition to some larger macro challenges of stores in terms of like the economy, recession, supply chain stuff. So it's a very interesting time to be there. I'm curious to know what what are some of the challenges that you hear from your perspective of of merchants and and their needs in terms of like the technology third-party apps that that they're looking for? So are they looking to solve for, or are they just like in general, they're concerned about? Basically, yeah, where you're seeing opportunities for new developers to come in and say, hey, like oh. this is a this is an opportunity. And and so I can, I can start with that. One, in my world, I think data capture is, is a, a clear need. And we're thinking in terms of iOS 14.5, 
third-party cookies being deprecated. All of a sudden, the the traditional playbook of spinning up paid campaigns to acquire customers is not as profitable. Cost per clicks are increasing, and so how how can how can you do that? Well, you can data directly from customers, zero-party data, data that customers are willingly and proactively sharing. So that's one area. I think also. AI is a very interesting space when we're seeing it now in terms of like, say, art generation with Dolly 2 or writing, say, with Jasper AI and other tools like that. But how can stores, and this is largely for larger stores that have accumulated a lot of data to train these algorithms, how can they use that data to say, hey, this person, Deb, is based in Miami, Florida and has purchased this or visited these pages that seems like we'll recommend this product or again is in Austin. You know, like anyway, that that that's one kind of like macro theme maybe where there's opportunities. Um, and then I, I think also video. It, video is an interesting play where whether it's in China and you're seeing live video, almost like QVC style, or it's like a little embedded widget on a product page or or at the foot of a page to help guide customers. I think that's an interesting theme as well. But yeah, I mean, I'm curious to know if there are any that you see as as kind of areas of development for for Shopify apps. I mean, there's two answers. There's the one that I want to focus on. And then there's the one where I think that there's a tremendous opportunity and you're going to be like, that's really broad, but I'm just going to go with it. Personalization. So any ways that you can personalize the experience, especially as a large store is hugely going to be important for merchants because especially if they have a large catalog base and they need to be able to unload, like for instance, we just had a customer say to us like, after we installed your app, we were able to unload a bunch of different, we were un- able to unload products that we weren't able to unload for a really long time before without it. So we have an app called Incard Upsell and it recommends specific products. So you could do it AI driven, whether it's like, you know, a smarter recommendation engine based on past purchases or your location or your gender, or whatever, things like that. Or you can just say, Hey, I really need to unload this product or a bundle of a product something like that. And then you can use that as what's showing up on the cart page or the product page or what have you. And that's really smart way of being able to be like, okay, well that product's under $20 and I needed to unload it. No one was taking it. It got lost in the sea of my catalog. And, and it's such a low price point that they're going to, if it goes with what they're already going to be purchasing anyway, then it's an easy, it's an easy opportunity for them to just add it to their cart. Mm -hmm carry on with your day. But I think personalization in general. So you have the quizzes, obviously we have things like, so I have a, an app called product customizer that helps upcharge on per product pricing. So Shopify has limitations with their variants. And if you want to get beyond that and you want to be able to offer some like really grandiose personalization. So like doing file uploads where you can personalize the product, like we were talking before about like interior design and maybe we wanted to personalize this somehow with my specific color palette or whatever. Or if you wanted to like do color swatches. So like oftentimes a lot of reasons why there's returns is because they thought that they were getting like this shade, but it was actually like this shade. And I don't, for the people on the podcast that are just listening, basically showed like a black shirt versus like 
a gray looking fabric. And so having the accurate color swatches of that would be really important. So that's another area of personalization. I mean, we could go on and on and on like site search where you can do really exciting things. You mentioned recommended products, things like, like we have another app called Sticky Add to Cart. And it's this little floating bar cart. It's a buy button that basically follows them around as they're going around. So if they're looking, they go, they find a product, they add it to the cart. And they're like, wait, I don't really even know if, where this company's located. I don't know their story. I want to kind of get to know them. So they go to the About Us page. On the About Us page, that little card is going to kind of be there to be like, remember, you still have to check out here. So things like that, I think, are just going to make it really easy for customers to get what they want, which is ultimately higher conversion rates, lower reduction in abandoned carts, and a happier customer that's going to return. So with the personalization products that I was talking about before, you know, they're going to become a more intimate customer because they're getting exactly what they want. That's why your quizzes are great because you're basically drilling down exactly what they want. And then you're going to be able to serve up things to them based off of those needs. So yeah, things like that. So what I was going to say before is the thing that I think it should be. And I will talk about this till I'm blue in the face and till I really see it becoming more highly adopted is AR and VR. So I think that we're still kind of at the beginning of offering that in stores. So people are like, well, AR, VR, like why would I need that for my store? Well, think about it, right? If you sell art, imagine the possibilities of being able to look at the art in your apartment before you purchase it. I bought a couch from CB2 and I never went into the store. I never looked at it. I bought a couch, like a very expensive couch from CB2. And because of their AR VR, I was able to see like, does it fit in the space that I want it to go in? How does it look? Does, you know, is the color looking cool? Whatever's going on with that. And then I just purchased it and it was a go. I bought this lip stuff on Dior, lip gloss from Dior a couple weeks ago, a few weeks ago. And I was able to try it on. So, I mean, in like these glasses, like I buy these online, you know, able to try them on. So there's so many use cases and we could be here forever going on and on about the use case for AR, VR. But I just think that there's such a tremendous opportunity that's really not been tapped enough. Yeah, that's really interesting. I have seen one interesting use case is, is like a skin evaluation, basically, where you're taking a, an uncomfortably close photo and then they kind of like they're doing diagnostics based on that. And and yeah, of course, we've seen like Warby Parker or those type of like try glasses on your face. I think that's really interesting as well. I wonder if the market is there or even like the, the hardware in order to make that happen or, or the customer knowledge. But I, I think we'll get there eventually too. I mean, Shopify is building tools to make it easy to do it. And then also there are developers that have developed some apps for it. So it's just, I think it's about awareness and it's about people like early adoption is really difficult any with anything. And I think until people are like, you really need this. And these are the reasons why, and here are the advantages. And here are also the disadvantages of not having it, you know, to my point with like, especially when it comes to makeup. If I were to purchase this lip gloss and then I were to return it, they can't resell it, right? But the couch, they could. Somehow they could figure out a way to, to resell my couch, right? But with lip gloss, it's actually like a health hazard to do that. And so if you look at like landfills, oh, I couldn't even imagine what like Sephora, Ulta or whatever these stores are contributing to like landfills in terms of returns on makeup, but you can't resell it. So that's a huge threat. Right mm -hmm. to the environment, to your bottom lot, to your PL, whatever. And so it's advantageous for you to adopt that technology. 
Yeah. So you've mentioned you work on 10 apps. Some of them you've mentioned Trackify and, and Sticky Cart Upsell or Sticky Add to Cart. Sticky Add to Cart. Yeah. Uh, and, and a lot of it might be around product customization or improving conversion rate, improving sales. Um, if you were to share some takeaways, kind of like agnostic to the tool specifically, but effective ways that marketers, e-commerce marketers can improve their sales, improve the customer experience so that they're seeing a lift in their revenue. Can you share some of those takeaways? Because I know you've worked with thousands of merchants and seen the behind the scenes. What are those tactical things that they can do to improve sales? I mean, there's a lot of different things. Like for instance, if you have multiple locations, you have multiple warehouses, you have products like spread out across the United States. We'll just use the United States as an example. A lot of times people get really fed up because they're so used to Amazon being able to get things like the next day or the day after. So if you have multiple warehouses, you need more of a streamlined solution to be able to manage that inventory, but more importantly, be able to call on the correct re warehouse that will ship that product to the end user in a very quick and succinct way. So it's things like that. You would say, well, that's not a revenue booster. That's not an acquisition channel. No, but it is a way to get a repeat customer. And I feel like when you think about retention, like that's the way that you make money. It's not from the first customer that comes in. It's those repeat customers that continue to come in. So having something in place like that at the onset is really important. I think also having a lot of the elements that we talked about in terms of personalization, it could be anything. It needs to, like, they need to feel intimately close with the product. So like reviews, anything like that. You mentioned video where they can kind of see someone looking cute, wearing it or whatever, or someone that looks like them or they want to be like, or whatever, that, that personalization really makes a big difference. And yeah, reviews, your quizzes, I think is really important because that whittles it down to exactly what that customer profile looks like. And then you can easily sell to them. So if we go back to like the Sephora, you know, bringing up Sephora, like if someone had a profile on me and every time I walked into Sephora or I go to Sephora website and they're like, Hey Deb, what's up? I know that you don't really like this, but you do like this, but you don't like this. And you do like this. Let me put a few things into the basket for you. And you could just take everything out that you don't want. And then you could just get on with your merry way. Can you imagine? I'd be so happy. I'd be. I mean, so that's like Birchbox, right? Yeah. Give me exactly what I want. Take the time away from me having to look for it, search for it, deal with it. Like I get product fatigue and I get really confused really quickly. Like I love anthropology, which we talked about earlier offline. And they'll send me an email and they'll say, oh, we have our dresses in, right? And I'm like, oh, yay. <laughs> and so then I'll go there and then I start looking at all the dresses and there's like hundreds of pages of dresses. Wouldn't it have been better if they sent, hey, Deb, we've got dresses for you. And they sent me 20 of them. And they said, here, we're going to give you like better shipping or we're going to personalize a note for you or do something really cute to be like making me secure that purchase right there and then that I feel like you you curated this list for me. I'm picking a couple of these dresses out today and I don't have to look through the sea of dresses in order to do that. That'd be freaking amazing. That would be a sale that happens. What often happens is I'm looking through three pages. I'm getting tired. I get fatigued and I leave and I show up with nothing. So any ways that they can skip that process and personalize that experience would be amazing. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And that's ultimately what your role, if you're a marketer and you put on your conversion rate optimization head on, just simplify the buying process, remove as many doubts or uncertainties around the experience. And then ideally you would see a better 
buying experience uh, on the first time around and, and repeat purchases. Or if you um, said like in, in the quiz, you're like, I don't like orange. You never show anything orange ever. You know, how imagine, imagine how good you would feel about that because all you're looking at is your favorite color green and you're never seeing anything orange. Like that's amazing. Totally. Yeah. One of my favorite quiz examples of that is kind of like this persistent customer experience is Amika. It's a shampoo brand. Oh yeah. Oh, oh my gosh. Are you kidding? I'm a fan girl. I have like so many. Oh really? Okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I'm not a customer, but I, I am a fan of their quiz take the quiz. And then all of a sudden, after you complete the quiz and they know that your, your hair challenges, your hair type, the, the products that are relevant to you specifically are highlighted visually. So it becomes a far easier customer experience, similar to your example with dresses. Yeah, for sure. Oh my gosh. That's so cool. You should buy your wife some Amika stuff. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. <clears throat> Got to sell a lot, a lot of quizzes to continue that. Deb, this is so much fun. Thank you so much for a peek into the future of e-commerce and, and what you're doing as a, an, an amazing marketer of by apps and with e-commerce marketers. Where can we learn more and connect with you online? Thanks for having me. So I'm Deb Mecca on Twitter. I think that's the best place to find me. And that's the episode for today. Thanks so much for listening all the way to the end. We love you for it. If you found anything valuable at all or want to share your feedback, please leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And you can also just drop us a line, hello at cartoverflow.com. We'd love to hear your feedback or suggestions so we can cover it in a future episode. All right, see you next time.